Here at FBC, it is Promotion Sunday. As Jamie has already alluded to, it's a significant day in the life of our church. It's a really important day for our kids and student ministries as they change classrooms and they get new teachers and that sort of thing. They look forward to it. And then the adults. Well, they don't necessarily go to new classrooms and they don't necessarily get new teachers. They simply just slide on into a new age division. Some of our young adults slide on into median adults and then some of our median adults have slid into experienced adults. After some extensive research and analytics, we've determined that the adults don't enjoy this day nearly as much as the kids, but it is a significant day for us. This past week, many students in our area began a new school year. It's an exciting time for them. College kids have been moving in to new schools and for them and dorms. Ten years ago, almost this very Sunday, I preached a sermon entitled, And Then There Were Two. No more socks in the middle of the room. No more sun be home by curfew. Ann and I had just returned from moving our youngest son, Kyle, into college. Some of you can relate. You've been moving in. Others of you have celebrated maybe the beginning of first grade for your child. Others have been celebrating the birth of a baby boy or baby girl into your family. Some of you maybe are celebrating retirement. But we could all say over the last two and a half years that there has been a lot of new I wonder today, both personally and collectively as a church, I wonder if God might be stirring something new within us. Let's open up our Bibles or open up our apps to Luke chapter 5, verses 33 to 39. I'm going to pull over a, a bit after a couple of verses and give some explanation But we'll begin at verse 33, and we'll land on verse 39. Beginning with verse 33. They said to him, John's disciples often fast and pray, and so do the disciples of the Pharisees. But yours go on eating and drinking. Jesus answered, can you make the friends of the bridegroom fast while he is with them? But the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them. In these days, they will fast. In these verses, Jesus is being questioned by the religious leaders of the day. Why was he rocking the boat? Why was he wanting to do things in a new and different way? Why was he threatening the status quo? Why was he going against tradition 
and custom. Specifically, they wanted to know why the bridegroom Jesus and the bridegroom's friends, his disciples, they wanted to know why they were not fasting. And Jesus said, when I'm present, there's no need to fast. It is a time to feast. There will be a time when I will not be present. In fact, in the Old Testament, when when folks were fasting, they were typically praying for the Messiah to come. If I'm present, let's celebrate. Let's have a feast. There will be another time when I will not be present, and you can fast. For now, let's feast. In verse 36, he told them this parable, no one tears a piece out of a new garment to patch an old one. Otherwise, they will have torn the new garment, and the patch from the new will not match the old. I've got to be honest, I enjoy washing clothes. I know that sounds strange. I, I love the process. I, it, it, is, it is gratifying to me. There, there is change. There's, there's something fresh about it. But as I look at this verse, it makes me very uncomfortable because I don't know anything about sewing. In fact, if there's a hole in a pair of pants, um, I'm just going to throw it away. I've done so recently. Now, if, if there's a button missing or something like that, I, I can't fix that, but Anne, Anne, Anne can, can take care of me on that. I can remember growing up, mom would have two and three and sometimes four patches that she would iron on in my jeans from holes that were in them. Jesus is letting us know that patchwork will not do the job. He didn't come to just patch us up. He didn't come to be a band-aid. He came to make things new. And I believe these verses that we've just unpacked a little bit set us up well for where we're going to kind of pull up and sit for a while in today's message. Verse 37, and no one pours new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the new wine will burst the skins The wine will run out, and the wineskins will be ruined. No new wine must be poured into new wineskins. And no one, after drinking the old wine, wants the new. For they say, the old is better. Most water was undrinkable, and wine was the common drink in Jesus' day because of the fermentation process that killed bacteria. For that reason, I'll I'll share in just a moment about the fermentation process. However, they had no means to bottle or package their drinks, and thus no way to preserve their drinks. And there was no refrigeration as well. And so when you pulled up at a meal table, the most common drink at the table was wine. So what is Jesus referring to here? The wineskin is a type of vessel 
And in Scripture, a, a vessel refers to a container, and it refers to people, people like you and me. Think of your life as a wineskin. Think of your experiences. Think of your habits. Think about the ways you think, and yes, your way of thinking, and the way you relate to God. Old wineskins are more restrictive and controlling. Old wineskins live for self. Old wineskins are inflexible. New wineskins live for God. New wineskins are flexible. New wineskins live in freedom. New wineskins live in the newness of life. Back in Jesus' day, grapes were harvested for wine. And they were, they were pulled and left out in the sun for a couple of days to increase their sugar content. And then they were crushed. They were, they were placed on these large stone vats and then crushed. And this is kind of interesting. And then people would actually stomp on the, the grapes to press out the juice. And so then we have the wine that is strained, strained and stored and placed in jars and placed in wineskins that are made from goatskins. The goatskins were processed so that they could expand while the wine was being fermented. Putting new wine in old wineskins that are brittle and rigid spells disaster. New Testament scholar N.T. Wright explains Jesus' point like this. Try to fit Jesus' new work into the thought forms or behavior patterns of John's movement or the Pharisees' movement, and all you get is an explosion. Almost three years ago, Ann and I made a trip out west. We wanted to go visit the parks out there. And one of the things that we decided early on is as part of our trip, we wanted to ride some mules. We wanted to go on a mule ride. And so Ann got to looking and, and, and we zeroed in on an area that we wanted to take our mule ride. And it was the north rim of the Grand Canyon. We were excited. I was looking at all about, all about the mules and went ahead and purchased everything. And as, as I was looking, I was, I was realizing some things I, I knew, like mules are stubborn, but also that mules are very smart. And then the long-awaited day for our adventure came. And we pull up to the barn and the mule wrangler is, is telling us all the things that, that we need to know while we're out on, on this wild adventure for the next three hours. And the two things that I remember the most, don't lean and don't scream. Now, on the don't lean part, remember we're at the Grand Canyon, mules like to walk on the outer edge of the trail where the trail is softer. Remember Grand Canyon here. 
don't lean. That could create some real problem, problems. Mules also easily get spooked. So, you know, don't, let your, don't get your, let your hat fly away. Make sure it's all tied down. But don't scream whatever you do. Because we're not sure what the mule will do if the mule gets spooked. So don't lean and don't scream. Early into our mule ride, I, I learned that the mule was not paying any attention to my direction. And in fact, I was right behind Anne, and the mule was just following Anne's mule. Woodrow and Watoba were the names of our mules, by the way. And I realized that whatever I did, my mule was not going to slow down. My mule wasn't going to speed up. My mule wasn't going to turn or stop because of any direction that I gave it. That mule does that same trail every single day, on that same terrain every single day, at the same time every single day, in the same climate every single day, you get it, the same distance every single day, walking in the same ruts every single day with the mules, the same mules. And they know every 20 minutes we're going to pull over and the mule wrangler is going to amuse us with some facts and then we're going to go on down to a tunnel and we're going to get off for a little bit and have some water to rest from our efforts and we're going to get back on the mule and we're going to go back up the same trail that we just went down every single day. And we laugh at that story. We may laugh at the mules. You may laugh at me. But aren't we just like those mules? I know I am. I mean, I get up at the same time, 5.10, every single morning. Every, it, it, I don't have to set the alarm. I just get up 5.10 every single morning. I grab my favorite beverage, happens to be coffee, same, beverage, same coffee every single morning. It's fresh. Out of the, my favorite cup, sitting in my favorite chair. And then I go to the closet and I pick out my favorite clothes. And then I get in the car and I go the same route to work every single day. Now I text the same people and I talk to the same people for the most part every single day. And then when I finish the day at work, I go and get the, my favorite food at the same grocery store or the same restaurant. And then I go home and watch my favorite shows likely with my favorite actors, or read my favorite books by my favorite authors, and then go to bed when my phone tells me it's bedtime, and go to bed and wake up and do it all over again the very next day. Remember verse 39, and no one after drinking old wine wants the new, for they say the old is better. There's a sign in Alaska that reads, choose your rut carefully. You will be in it for the next 50 miles. Author Henry Nowen in his book, In the Name of Jesus, admits to being in one of these ruts for well over 20 years. Judging from his life at the time, no one would blame him for not wanting to just Stay exactly where he was. After all, he had the University of Notre Dame. 
Yale and Harvard on his resume. He had been part of extensive research and studies. Henry Nouwen was comfortable and saw no compelling reason to seek a change until one day he had an internal disconcerting churning inside him. Listen to what he wrote. As I entered into my 50s, a young age, I might add, and was able to realize the unlikelihood of doubling my years, I came face to face with the simple question, did becoming older bring me closer to Jesus? After 25 years of ministry, I found myself praying poorly, living somewhat isolated from other people, and very much preoccupied with burning issues. Something inside was telling me that my success was putting my soul in danger. I woke up one day with the realization that I was living in a very dark place. And the term burnout was a convenient psychological translation for a spiritual death. Now and asked the Lord to show him where he wanted to go. And he would follow. You say, well, Judd, how am I supposed to do this? How am I supposed to make room for this new? I've got, the, I've got calendars all over the place. My time is maxed out. I've got a personal calendar. I've got a family calendar. I've got my work calendar. I've got an organization or two that I volunteer for. And all these calendars are feeding into my phone, into my computer. And yes, they're pretty because they're all coming in in different colors. But it is very stressful. To illustrate it a different way, the self-storage industry is a $90 billion industry. No one has room. One in three garages have no car in them because there's no space. I wonder this morning what we might need to adjust, what we might need to move aside, what we might need to individually maybe discard. I didn't tell you the whole story about the mule ride. You see, when we were doing our research, the route that Ann and I really wanted to take had a rider weight restriction of 200 pounds. So we went ahead and and signed up for it. And I had 20 days to lose 25 pounds. Folks in the church office will know this as my mule diet. <laughs> they do. I was drinking water and salad. Now, when I talk about salad, I'm not talking about the good stuff, like chicken and ham and cheese and salad dressing. I'm talking about lettuce and carrots and tomatoes with my water. I didn't have a day to spare. I didn't have a Saturday to chill 
on the diet. I didn't have a single day and I knew it. I wanted to ride that mule with every part of my being. I will never, ever forget that Monday morning in October of 2019 when Ann and I pulled up to the North Rim and we checked in. And yes, I was asked to get up on the scales. And I didn't have a pound to spare, but I did it. And I was able, and Ann was able, we were able to ride the mules. I had no days. I had to make it happen. We can't just want the new wine of God. You see, I had to make some pretty drastic changes. Some of you this morning came into this room not really knowing what to expect, had no idea what the message was about. But you see, God wants to do something new within us. He wants to pour something new. But remember our passage. He can't pour that new into the old. We may have to make some changes. Isaiah 43, 19 reads, I'm doing a new thing. I'm making a way in the wilderness. Are you willing?